0: Back to Yes, X or No audio. Hello, everybody! It is just past 8 pm here on Sunday, the 20th of August 2023. We're on the eastern seaboard of Australia, and I think you know the drill by now. I'm going to go down the headlines from War. Uh, and then look at some other interesting articles out there. Normally, I would reserve an article uh, that I'd written during the week, but I've been a lazy bum and haven't written anything of interest. There are a couple of articles there if you're interesting, but they're sort of short notes rather than articles. Um, but I do want to do a little bit of extemporization on a couple of topics, possibly three. So this one might run a little bit long, be warned. So we'll start with the headlines from Andy Wall. And. Niger seems to be the interesting thing happening this week. We've got a bunch of lines. ECOWAS says, this is in reverse time, so most recent first. ECOWAS says, most West African states ready to join Niger intervention force on the 17th. And that's most, not all. So that tells us that there's a few doing a bit of holdout there. They don't want to do this. Interesting. Then we have U.S. considers ways to keep its military presence in Niger. Of course, that's what it's all about. We worked that out last week. ECOWAS military chiefs to discuss possible Niger, Niger intervention on Thursday and Friday. And we haven't heard about that apart from the one above, uh, which was that most ECOWAS groups are have to you know, kick the shit out of Niger for like why, for who. We we'll get to that. Uh, and then uh, earliest article is Niger junta refuses negotiations unless coup leader is recognised. Uh, ICOWAS postpones meeting on potential intervention. So we can see the things are move forward a bit. Uh, and there's some other news there that isn't reported, which is we know now that uh, the leadership of the junta have placed treason charges against the ousted president Bazoum. So we get to that. Moving along, we have China Pacific. Biden to strengthen alliance with South Korea and Japan at Camp David Summit. So more war rhetoric for the, you know, here comes China, let's go kick them. China warns it will take strong measures as Taiwan VP arrives in US. I think this is a bit stupid of China. I think we should shut the fuck up and let the the Americans be dumb. Anyway, that's what they're doing. Uh, And then we have US Cement's. Game-changing military ties between Japan and Australia. So, more rhetoric. More rhetoric. U.S. Air Force holds China war drill-rehearsing casualty evacuations in the Pacific. Which is, you know, bluster and fluffery. Whatever. So, But not very nice. So, you know, it looks very much like the U.S. is, you know, solidifying its allies in the region. Um, Moving along, we get to the Middle East. A couple of articles there. We have... Senators urge Biden to unload tanker carrying stolen Iranian oil. Uh, so it's from a couple of days ago. So the Senators think that um, uh, the US hasn't completely stolen the oil properly. Do it properly. Like, get it off the ship and into our storage tanks. Like, All right. And then in Syria, we have... So the, the title is Syria, Iran's... Con- Kanani blames foreign intervention for Islamic State escalation. And this is by Thomas L. Knapp, who I haven't seen as an author for quite a while at anti-war. Anyway, so it's sort of interesting. So there's been some escalation of Islamic State, presumably in Syria, and this guy uh, Canani, uh is blaming foreign intervention for it. Hmm. Uh, and then we have a bit of US censorship fun. Uh, Biden administration defends social media censorship operation, again by Thomas L. Knapp. Um, so, yeah, censorship's fine. We're, we're all good with it, uh, says Biden uh, and his administration. And then we have a bit of Assange news. US ambassador to Australia, and that's, um, that's one of the Kennedys, if I'm Catherine Kennedy, something like that. Um, hints at plea deal for Julian Assange. And this was echoed a while back. So this is a couple of months after the sort of thing started up. So uh, there we go. And then we have uh, NATO, US, Finland negotiating defence agreement that would see deployment of American troops. Uh, and the comment from that was uh, on a recent uh, Scott Ritter thing. He was mentioning essentially that the amount of troops that the US has in Europe is SFA. can't be... Useful for anything. It's called reassurance troops. Uh, They're not really actually useful for anything. So adding some more to Finland really doesn't change the the story there. But you know, uh, as I've said before, Finland should really go and talk to the Japanese and see how long it takes to get US troops out of your country. Easy to get them in, hard to get them out. Uh, and then there's a whole plethora of stuff on Ukraine, which, is, as far as I'm concerned, is boring as batshit at this point. Like there's twenty article headlines or something, and it's all just, oh, the F 16s aren't coming till next year, and you know we should spend more money. And oh, the only really interesting one was in the, uh, was the, an aid to um, Stoltenberg, who's still heading NATO. Um, said, yeah, look, um, Ukraine could cede some territory and then that would maybe they could then sign up to be a part of NATO. <laughs> and everyone went, shut up, shut up, you're not meant to say that now, stop, mistake, it was a mistake. That's the headline. NATO official calls comments on Ukraine ceding territory a mistake. Oops, said that too loudly. Um, and then it's just, you know, Bill Crystal thinks that more people should die and people should spend more money and John Bolton agrees with him and just, you know, blah, blah, blah. What else? Uh, Oh, yeah, this one. U.S. intelligence deems Ukraine's counteroffensive a failure. Oh, really? You know, we've only been noticing that for weeks and weeks and weeks. Um, And there was one here, which is from Connor Freeman. Lukashenko warned Belarus will use nukes if attacked, i.e. don't with us. Uh, And that relates to a comment I read somewhere, which is before the SMO, uh, Putin went to had a chat with Lukashenko. And he said, look, if I'm going to do this, I need to have you protect my rear. As in, make sure, you know, I cannot handle, you know, a direct frontal assault through Belarus while I'm doing this thing, so I need you to, you know, be by my side. Of course, Lukashenko went, I'm your man. Uh, and we saw the role he played in the, uh, the, the coup thing, you know, with the idiot, um, uh, what the head of the Wagner force, Prigozhin, or whoever, whoever he was. Um, just getting pissed because he wasn't going to make lots of extra money like he was previously because the forces were going to be nationalised under the uh, the Russian army. So, anyway, so uh, yeah, so Lukashenko's just following up, essentially, on what he said earlier. He's just going, you have a go at me, I'll use the nukes." You know, fair call. I mean, not good, but you, know, you can sort of understand what he's doing, why he's doing it. So that's what this is about. right? He's got Putin's you know, defence in his mind. And that's the, that's the headlines. Right. So, enough of that. On interesting stuff written by other people, we've got a few articles on Niger and Africa. Uh, so we've got Vijay Prashad, who's been pretty busy with his pen this week. Uh, Niger is far from a typical coup by Vijay Prashad at Consortium News. Quite a bit at Consortium News in the Sheer Post this week, which is nice to see. Niger and the New World Order by Patrick Lawrence at Sheer Post. Africa for Africans by Patrick Lawrence at Consortium News. France's colonial legacy, US's security concerns intersect in Niger. Russians at the gate looking for new hunting grounds by M.K. Badrakuma at Indian Punchline. And lastly, uh, I haven't listened to this interview yet, but uh, Scott Horton had Brad Pierce on to discuss the coup in Niger. And it looks like this Brad Pierce actually knows a thing or two about Niger. So I will listen to that and I can recommend it to you if you're interested in what the hell's going on because there's plenty of conjecture and not a lot of what's going on. Apart from the things we you know, which I'll get to in the Sort of rant, extemporisation bit at the end. So moving along, then we've got a bunch of other stuff. So uh, Chris Hedges published an article called Robert F. Kennedy Jr. The Israel Lobby's Useful Idiot because he did put his foot in it um, once or twice. So yeah, that was back on the 13th, so early in the week. Um, And then one from Glenn Greenwald published at ShearPost. Free speech gone on Twitter, question mark? New CEO pushes shadow banning and content moderation. So this is sort of echoes the, the Biden thing about, no, we're all good at censorship, ships fine, Dandy. No, it's good, it's good for you. Whatever. Um, and then another one by Vijay Prashad, Bricks and World Balance, uh, which is interesting because there's a parallel to that, which is from Pepe Escobar. Central Asia is the prime battlefield in the new great game. So he's publishing at the cradle all the time. And the Vijay Prashad article on BRICS and New World Balance is at Consortium News. See below for links. You know you know how it goes around here. And lastly, we had a really funky one from of Alabama. US sanctions Syrian moderate rebels it had previously armed. Well done, Bernard. <laughs> so uh, we're fine. If situation normal. All, yeah, we arm them and then we say, we're, <laughs> Jesus. Anyway, so that's uh, most of the interesting stuff. Oh, there was one more. Um, so Kelly of Vlahos, uh, who's writing, who published originally at um, uh, Responsible Statecraft, which is the, whatever that institute that got set up, I can't remember now. Um, it's a, yeah, foreign policy group that don't run, you know, forever wars and so forth. Um, anyway, it was republished at Natalia's Place, Understanding Russia. And the title is Most Americans Don't Want Congress to Approve More Aid for Ukraine, which, of course, runs counter to all the shit coming out of Bill Kristol's brain and the same with whatever his name is, Walrus. Anyway, so this is interesting to see. And that is the sort of other articles that I thought were of interest. So, yeah, check below for links and all of the above. And now on to the extemporisation. So before I start running my mouth off again... I think that this week will be an interesting week to come back to at the end of October because all of the Congress critters and the Warhawks and so forth are still on leave, right? They're all coming back from their summer holidays uh, very soon. It all starts to hot up at the end of uh, August uh, and at the beginning of September. Remember September 11th, right? This is where all the fun happens. Uh, it's the sort of beginning of, of the new year, right? We've all got a whole year ahead to really fuck with the world. So all of the, you know, they all get excited and stuff happens in September and October. So come back um, to look at what the state of play was now, uh, I think, uh, at the end of October. See if I can remember. Anyway, topic number one is Ukraine. And if we look at what's going down, we all know that Ukraine has lost this war, and it was bloody obvious, Ukraine would never beat Russia, like, you know, hello, <laughs> Hitler and Napoleon. It's been tried many times before it didn't work. The only people who really succeeded at this was back in the 1300s, they were called the Mongols, and they, they, they kicked everyone's ass. So... It's not surprising that the situation is the way it is. And it's been interesting the way that Russia's handled things, right? They had to flip the script after they after their attempt at a political se- uh, settlement was undermined by Boris Clownhead Johnson turning up to Kiev and saying to uh, um, idiot Olensky, oh, look, we'll just give you all the, all the guns and the tanks and the whatever and it'll be fine, off you go. Uh, and you can't bloody sign no peace deal. So that was when Russia had to change their plan. They got a little bit um, a little bit kicked in the summer. Uh, up north in Kharkiv and uh, and they withdrew from uh, Herson, uh, which I think was a pretty good move. Uh, and since then they've just sort of held their game and built defensive lines and whatever and you know, they, they did the big battle of uh, Bakhmud so that you know, lots of Ukrainian idiots died. The Russians lost quite a few troops there too, actually. So in terms of the, the ratios, it's been around 8 to 1 for a while, but I think that the Bakhmud thing was closer to 5 to 4 to 1 even. So the Russians lost quite a few... Um, the people there and that one of the reasons why that was possible was because that was what the Wagner group were doing and therefore they're not Russian soldiers they're contractors and that yeah so they were used to do some of the heavy lifting um because and then it, so it's equivalent so we're back when we we're doing Mariupol it was the uh, the Chechens the rat catchers as I like to call them so Russia's been using auxiliary forces for the really hard stuff so that, that when they're publishing their own uh, casualty figures, they're reduced because a lot of the heavier stuff is being done by units that are outside of, of the core of the Russian army, even though these forces are operating under the direction of the Russian military leadership. You know, it's war. People do silly, you know tricky stuff to fiddle with numbers and whatever. So we all know what's going down. Ukraine's bloody well lost. And the US is, start- the US is starting to admit it, i.e. the US intelligence agency. Was it was some um, member of Congress who went, this thing is unwinnable. Yeah, good, they're starting to wake up. So the question is what happens? Uh, and what everyone's shadowing is that, oh, look, what'll happen is the last brigade that Ukraine has you know, in their trained reserves for the big offensive, they've been committed. That's it, there's no more left. Once that's all wiped out, we're all gone. Um, so they're sort of pucked. So the question is: Is Russia going to go on the counteroffensive? And the answer is yes, but how and where, and, and and so forth. So back in the day, I was saying: Well, the question, one of the questions that Russia has to ask is: Do they want the north? Do they want Kharkiv? Or do they want Odessa? Do they want the south? And that's uh, taking the south is very advantageous for them. They have a sort of a, an old debt to Odessa from the Second World War, where they abandoned Odessa to defend. Um, um, What's it called? Crimea. So, and if they control the southern coastline, that puts them in a very strong negotiating position. So they can cede some of that back to whatever is left of Ukraine as a trading piece. And it's a very, very powerful trading piece. The other one is that Kharkiv is strongly Russian and there's a very significant uh, Russian Orthodox uh, cathedral there and... So, yeah. But I don't think they can really do both unless the Ukraine um, force is completely spent. So Russia's going to have to think about what it's going to do. But obviously what they will do is they have to take the rest of um, Donetsk. They've got Lugansk, that's done. And then the other of the two original you know, rebellious uh, oblasts, the other one's Donetsk, and they haven't taken all of Donetsk yet, so they have to do that. It's a, it's a no-brainer, it has to be done. And then, of course, the other thing is to make sure they have appropriate security in the areas of uh, Zaporizhia and Kherson that guard the supply routes, right? They need all the roads, which is what the counteroffensive was meant to do—to break control of those roads, to get. And there's an article by Moon of Alabama on this, which is well worth reading. It's called "Ukrainian Sit- Sitrep um, Chernihiv." Uh, is that it? Is the one? Yes um uh chernihiv done exhibition russian offensive pretty crappy title it actually lays out uh the rough objectives that ukraine had and how shitty they've done on it essentially they wanted to get to the point where the the transport routes that russia's been using to supply through the south from Crimea were under artillery potential artillery fire by ukraine just to limit their logistics which would have been a you know that would have been a useful thing to do and they've completely failed um, uh, and Bernard reports that they've made a total of 12 kilometres in advance. There's only 88 to go. <laughs> so, well, they'd, they'd want to get another you know, 20 or 30 uh, kilometres forward to, you know, to put the supply lines under threat of artillery fire. But to do that, they've got to get through three defensive lines. And there's no way they're going to do that. They're all going to die in, in the attempt, and that's the end of that. So the question is, what does Russia do? Uh, and obviously they'll take Donetsk and then they'll secure the areas of Zaporozhye and Hesson that they want to maintain their supply lines. And then really they can sort of do what they want at that point. You know, do they, do they go through um, Mikolaev and off to Odessa? Do they take Hadkiv? It's sort of, but I, my thing is, I reckon they're more interested in a political solution actually to get this thing solved. I think they want out of it, really. As long as they secure, they've got Lugansk, they get Donetsk. They get most. They get the, the parts of um, Zaporozhia that they want, and that includes the nuclear power plant, of course. Um, but I don't think they really want Zaporozhia city. It doesn't matter. It's not that important. It's all about supply lines, that power plant, and um, and the two uh, prime oblasts. So I reckon they'll go for a. They'll do a counteroffensive, but I think that will be. It could run two ways. Either they'll just get the rest of Donetsk and then secure it in a way that you know they're happy with. Um, or, as they're doing that, the Ukrainian army will just fall apart, then they'll just take whatever they want, you know. Um, but it's not just whatever you want either, because in areas where of Ukraine where the local population uh, believe in the Ukraine ideal, they're not Russian uh, ethnic and Russian-speaking, uh, then there'll be local resistance, and that's, you know, then you end up with um, the nightmare of guerrilla war, and that's no fun for anyone. Um, so... Russia is a little limited. But just to make things interesting, the stupid Poles are really interested in, in this, you know, Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth crap and, and revitalising this old empire. So they're gonna they're very interested in um, Lvov. And I reckon Russia would be really happy about that. Fine, you have all the Nazis and you look after them. Right? As long as the government that takes over the rump of Ukraine is... Is heavily Russian aligned and it commits to never signing up for NATO. I reckon they'll they'll go with that. Fine. Then they get out of this thing. They've got the areas they wanted. It's all good. We're done. So I don't think there's going to be some wild you know counteroffensive where they charge off around because in other words it just turns into guerrilla warfare and that, like I said it's no fun for anyone. So I reckon Russia's eyeing this as how to consolidate the things that they want and then look for a political solution that allows Poland to cause all this shit trouble. Um, it depends, because Hungary's been pretty good to Russia, um, and so they have to be a little bit careful there. Because if they let Poland take that area, then there's Hungarians involved. It's all complicated. So it's a little bit subtle. But I'm sure they're looking at this quite carefully and trying to work out what the correct political solution is, where that you know a little bit of trouble can be created by letting Poland you know claim a bit of territory, and that'll sort of set the Europeans off amongst themselves, which will give the Russians a bit of you know time and space. Anyway, so that was the. There's the summary of what I reckon is going to happen in Ukraine, and I might be completely wrong or partially wrong. We find out. Remember, end of October we come back. So part two is Niger, uh, and I had a bit of a mumble along in the back of my head about that one. And it seems that every, people are largely agreeing with the basic analysis i I put forward, which is that these, these groups in West Africa... Remember the Washington Post article, right? This is the fifth coup in the region uh, over the last few years. They're getting uppity, and I think that's largely because, essentially, the US has turned up, and so has the French even more... Um, and this was under an anti-terror terror law thing. And they really have failed miserably to do anything about, you know, al-Shabaab and whatever the other one is. And these are nasty people. As Nick Turse knows, you know, he's got all the pictures of people having their arms chopped off with machetes. I mean, it's not fun. So I think that's what's going down, That that they're sick of all this colonial bullshit and... The reason why there are holes in the ECOWAS front is, first of all, it's a trading group, right? It's, it's instigated by NATO US, essentially, um, as an influence organisation. But it's, it's a trading organisation, not a military one. So they're being asked to do military things, and then, then that's not really what they signed up for. Um, but I think the, the reason that there are holes in that is because, I can't remember who it was that pointed it out, but you only have to go back 12 years ago and what the hell happened to Libya? That didn't work out very well at all, you know. So I think that there are elements of the uh, ECOWAS Group who are saying, "I don't think it's such a good idea if we do the dirty work for the neo-colonialists," you know. Well, you know. So I think that's part of it. Um, you know, obviously it's you know, there's resources and all that. There's nothing new, but I think the other part of it is that. One of the things that happened in Africa uh, about ten years ago was that they set up the equivalent of PayPal. There's a bunch of different styles of PayPal that are controlled essentially by the local telcos um, so it's like contact, contactless payment blah blah blah. and what that did um, is it spurned off a whole bunch of um, uh, independent entrepreneurs there was all of a sudden they could do they could do transactions uh, more easily. Uh, and you didn't have to carry around cash and then cash and then get, you know, done by thugs. and So it's sort of easier. Um, I'm not saying that's a big thing. And I don't know how widespread that is in Africa and if it, if that happened in West Africa, but it wouldn't surprise me. So I think there's a whole bunch of stuff going on there. And, you know, there were people going, wow, who would have thought World War III is going to start in, in, in Africa? I don't think it's that serious. But the really interesting thing is that this is actually happening. The first thing is that it happened, that the that the junta actually established itself based on the coup, which means that the French didn't know it was coming. So that indicates that there's a bit of a hole in their intelligence. I wouldn't expect the US to know, but I'd expect the French to know. This is their old colonial back, backwater. They should know, right? So there's obviously a bit of a hole in some elements of French intelligence. Um, and the US has the huge vested interest of this um uh drone base at agadez, agadez or whatever it's called so that's what they're trying to do it's a linchpin it's a strategic uh, it's the it's the cornerstone of their surveillance operations for the whole of west africa so the u.s really want to hang on to that uh and so they're but they're in a bit of a tricky spot because they'll look like complete shits if they go in there and you know all guns blazing and da, 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 da. it's just like obvious intervention it's one thing for, you know, if a country has a military coup, it's like, well, that's sort of their problem, you know. You, the solution to that is not march in there with a bunch of other nations, and, and that's an invasion, right? That's a, that's a different class of problem. You can't use invasions as a way of solving military coups. So, anyway, it's quite interesting that, it, that it's still going on. And the point that um, Mercurius was making on uh, the Duran, which I thought was a reasonably good point, is that what they're doing right now is, first of all, there's the charges against the, uh, the president, Bazoum, that they ousted, treason. Uh, and they've got a prime minister, the Junta, they found one, and they're whipping up a bunch of technocrats and other politicians to fill roles in the government. So the longer this goes on, the more legitimate the government um, becomes. And the other thing was that there was a survey done by The Economist, you know, that you know, neo Conrag. rag... Um, or which showed a seven, in excess of seventy percent support for the junta locally. Now I don't know how, what, how you know how broad a uh, survey base that they had, so we don't know how much seventy what seventy percent really means. But it certainly means they're not loathed like some people think they're okay. Um, so this is a bit of a problem. So if 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 you've got this hunter has got reasonable local support. And you've got elements of the, this ECOWAS group who are saying, "No, nah, we don't think it's a good idea." CF Libya, well, what the hell can they do? The US and, and France, like, what, what are they going to do? Just march in there and take the place over? I mean, that's not going to look very good, is it? So they're in a bit of a bind, and that is the thing, right? Why are they in a bit of a bind? Didn't have the, they were short on the intelligence for a start. Should never have happened in the first place. France, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> Fix your intelligence. Um, and, then, and then they couldn't solve it quickly, right? Because, as I said, ECHO is a trading thing. They didn't sign up for doing military operations. And second of all, there's evidence locally in you know, plenty of places um, that this is not a good thing to do. And I think there might be a, an increasing awareness amongst the younger population in these areas of the history. I mean, maybe I'm being a, being a complete twat in, they might have known this for generations and generations, I just don't know anything about it. So excuse me if I'm being a twat. Um, but yeah, it's very interesting that this is still going on. And that is to do with the, the, the big picture thing that I keep going on about, which is Russia, China, SEO, BRICS, versus US, NATO, old financial institutions, you know, that power structure shift. Um, because the each of them, these blocks... Have their financial institutions. So you've got the IMF and the World Bank, you know, to indent nations, so you get a hold of their resources and all that game, and then fund the US industry. You know, and that's what the US did. That's how they built their empire. And then the thing is that the the Chinese have spotted that, and they're going, yeah, that was clever. We'll do that. We'll get our economy roaring along, and then we'll do the same thing. So they've got the Asian uh, Asian infrastructure investment bank which is the main bank behind the BRI project which is pumping money in a lot of countries you know so they can build roads and telecommunication networks and all this sort of shit and then you've also got um the new development bank uh which is for the BRICS countries headed up by uh former Brazilian president Dilma Rousseff so so you've got this parallel structure that's happening on both sides and they're both playing the same game and I, I suspect it's likely that um, China and uh, and through the AIIB and uh, BRICS through the New Development Bank are basically undercutting the bullshit that that the IMF and World Bank were doing on behalf of you know NATO US right. So they're giving better deals. Simple as that. Doesn't mean they're going to be nice, they might, might be nasty shits in the end, but it's a slightly better deal, and the fact that there's two people to play with means you can play them off against each other and look for a better deal. I mean, if you want an expert at that, look at Erdogan, Erdogan right? Very, very, you know, clever political player. God knows how he gets away with all this stuff. I presume he's got an awful lot of skeletons in his closet, and all, he knows about a lot of other people's skeletons, otherwise, why the hell is he still there? Anyway, that, that's a bit of a other topic. So, yeah, so those are the three topics I wanted to speak about, right? So, Ukraine, we can sort of see where that's going. Interesting, right? What will Russia do? Because it's really up to them to choose what the hell happens now. Niger, like, why the hell is this lasting so long? Oh, it tells you things about uh, shifting power structures and so forth. And I think that's really the story. So I think the rest of this year is going to be fascinating. Like, what goes on? What happens in Niger? What happens in Ukraine? All of this will be worked out by the end of the year, for sure, right? So I reckon, as I said, end of October, come back here and, and say, what did we know then, and then what happened? Uh, so I reckon the junta's going to turn into a government uh, in Niger, uh, and that depends on when they hold elections. They have to do that. So they'll need some uh, house-clearing time, so they have to get rid of all the you know people that are corrupt or whatever that they don't like, uh, and then put in their own people who will be corrupt, you know. Like the US, it's the same, change of government, same corruption. Um, so that's got to happen. And then they'll hold elections. And so how long do they need? Probably three months, right? Where are we? So yeah, you know, November. Elections in end of November. for, um, And then it will all be legitimate. You know, well done, Niger. Mil- military coup led to a proper government and we got rid of the Frenchies. <laughs> Whoever the hell it is. But the US will kick up a hornet's nest if they lose their uh, drone base. $100 million of, of assets. Uh, but... Much more importantly, it's the fact that it won't be there anymore and they can't use it to spy on everyone. Um, so it's not going to be an easy thing. Uh, and then we'll see what happens with re- Ukraine. I reckon political settlement. I reckon, you, I reckon Russia wants out of this once they've secured Donetsk and then worked out what their trading pieces are. And then they'll just go, yeah, we're done. As long as there's a bit of bullshittery goes around around Lviv, and they encourage the Polish to be idiots and they have control over whatever rump Ukraine Government is installed, and that's the sticky one. How do they control that? So we'll see. Anyway, that'll do it for this week. I hope you're having a good one wherever you are. Ciao!